All right. I want to know everyone's favorite song to karaoke. Being in front of a microphone right now sort of puts me in that headspace. You know, <laughs> like I feel like I'm about to karaoke with you all right now here on Zoom. Mm-hmm. I would say, and you you both know this, um, that uh, my go-to karaoke is uh, Nookie by Limp Bizkit uh, is my my favorite song to sing. We should describe Zachary's face right now. <laughs> uh, just kidding. Squinted eyes, <laughs> kind of looking at me disapprovingly. <laughs> I, I'm looking, I, it's more just karaoke in general is not my gig, you know, Um it, it, your your wife may, you know, uh, relate to this, but being a music major and like hearing good, good singing for a long time, <laughs> I don't have much tolerance for uh, for marginally okay singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Favorite favorite karaoke, but I never get to do it because someone before me always does it. Like, and when I'm not there, but it would be Bohemian Rhapsody. I can actually hit the notes and it makes me so happy. That's super impressive. Yeah. Dude, those notes yeah. are insane. I love that song. But I now mean, I like, uh, I don't know how to say her name correctly. So I apologize for butchering this, but it do a, do a, do a Lipa. Yeah. I know who you're talking about. Okay. So I hope that the next time I get to go to karaoke, that her songs are in karaoke. Cause man, I can slay those. I bet they will be. She's yeah. very popular right now. Yeah. So, Graham, are you ever going to sing a karaoke oh, yeah. song with us? <laughs> um, I have a few times. I do not like to sing in front of people, well, especially when they can hear me. But um, one of my favorite songs is a Lady Gaga song, but it's not one that was super popular. It's called You and I, and it's a really good one. And it's in my range, which is the problem. Mm-hmm. My husband makes fun of me all the time because I like to argue that my range is like tenor sound. And he's like, that doesn't make sense. And I'm like, but it's true. So I just have a hard time finding songs that fit for me. So that's why I usually sing songs by men is it's just way more comfortable for me. Yeah. I feel like we should address that Maddie's already on the podcast. Usually we have, have a conversation really afterwards. I linger on this team. I feel like my spirit haunts the halls. And like, I, In a good I way, want to be with all nice my guest. friends. So I'm just like, I'm here. <laughs> so today on the podcast, we have Maddie Tabor-Smith, who is one of our close friends, but also one of our colleagues. And um, she shares with us about living her authentic self and we have seen it firsthand and so i think everything you're going to hear in this episode is going to really be confirming that you should live your authentic self so here we go i wanted to welcome maddie tabor smith for joining us today she is no joke one of my favorite people on the planet so i'm so excited to talk with her more and learn more about um everything about her and just why she's so amazing. (laughs) So Maddie, I'd like to kick us off by asking, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your career path and how you got to where you are now and what you are doing now? Yes. Uh, You are also one of my favorite people. So thank you so much for that intro. Um, 
Sure. So I um, am a Bobcat. I uh, went to college at Texas State. Um, I was a total band nerd. Um, so I started, I was in the marching band for three years. Um, and it was like, that was my major um, <laughs> because I had such a hard time deciding what I wanted to major in. I changed my major like five times. So, you know, students out there that are listening to this, like it, you will figure it out. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I think we can all agree as like professionals, that is like a constant changing mm -hmm. thing, right? And, and something we're learning is more about your skills and what you love and enjoy and less about the exact curriculum you went through in undergrad, right? Um, so anyway, I, um, I built a career in retail management, actually, when I was during my undergrad. I worked full-time plus for most of my undergraduate career. And I thought that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and so kind of the summer between, uh, your, or like after I graduated, there was a day I was working um, on the sales floor and I had just been yelled at by a customer for a <laughs> delivery gone wrong. Um, I had a sales associate in the stock room crying because she had been yelled at too. Uh, you know, my feet hurt. I was tired. It was like the worst day ever. And um, I, at that point, just went into the office and emailed uh, Dr. Patty Jufre from the sociology department who had just planted a seed uh, in my mind about going to graduate school when I was um, in her uh, men, women and society class in undergrad. Um, and that decision to go to graduate school has I mean, it's the best, one of the best decisions I've ever made. Um, gave me all sorts of skills I never even imagined I would have, like in statistics and uh, data analysis. And I mean, I was always bad at math kind of throughout school. Um, I ended up teaching statistics in graduate school, which cool. I mean, it was, it was like, what? I did that? I <laughs> um, But, but yeah. And so um, then, uh, in my graduate studies, I met, uh, an amazing human being named Lindy Knowles, mm -hmm. um, who, oh, and his now Lindy Warner, right? But, uh, Lindy and I, uh, became fast friends and she was working as a career advisor at Texas State Career Services. So we are going full circle people. Yes. I got a job, um, uh, <laughs> working as a career advisor, um, for career services, uh, but I was a special kind of career advisor. I wasn't really assigned a specific college. I actually oversaw um, the career fair program, right? So, you know, 30 plus career fairs and special events each year. I worked very closely with Bridget to get all the food situated for those things. And um, anyway, this is like such a long-winded answer, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, met amazing people, gained all sorts, again, just like collected skills I would have never imagined having the opportunity to, to gain. Right. Um, and I, I ended up making a career transition, um, to my current, well, actually no, um, to, to my current institution, uh, when I, I really got down to like what I was the most passionate about in my job and what, and kind of moving away from the things I wasn't so passionate about. And I 
recognized that like the survey research part I thought was really interesting, kind of looking at the data behind our career events. Um, you know, so I, I found this position called coordinator um, of institutional effectiveness um, and the IRB at Our Lady of the Lake University in San Antonio. And um, at that time, I was commuting to San Marcos from Floresville, Texas, which was an hour and 20 minutes one way, Um, you know, and so uh, making a transition to a university in San Antonio was um, was kind of a no brainer at that point, even though it hurt me and broke my heart to move (laughs) away from some of the best friends I've ever had. Um, but, uh, but that position again, I was just so lucky kind of married my skills together, but like really honored my graduate degree, right? Because I was working in assessment. I was working with data. I was in Excel all day long. Uh, but I was also having to like meet with program heads and deans and all sorts of people to kind of like flex that people side of my brain, right? And to sort of spread the gospel of assessment and of data around the campus. So, um, and and I, you know, the next part of my adventure is really interesting, which is that my <laughs> boss's position came available completely unexpectedly. She had quit at the beginning of winter break. We came back and realized that position was vacant. And at that point, I sort of took the lessons that I had been giving students for years, right? About like shooting your shot, right? About um, about taking opportunities to, to just um, advocate for yourself. And so um, I, I sat down with my VP and I talked to her about all of the things I was able to accomplish in my first year, all the relationships I was able to build, et cetera. And um, I... I became director of assessment and accreditation. And, um, you know, that was in February of 2020. So being a really green, brand new director in the midst of COVID-19, as well as like, uh, we're up for SACS reaffirmation very soon. Um, And so I I think I am, you know, kind of in that place where I'm figuring out what that looks like and being gentle with myself when I make mistakes or have a day where like, I don't have the answer. Um, but anyway, that is just, uh, that's just a very lengthy <laughs> journey, um, starting all the way from marching band to where I'm sitting right now. Um, but, Amazing. but I, I mean, I feel so lucky to, to have the, the experiences that I've been able to have. Yeah. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. Um, One thing that I think anybody who knows Maddie could agree with is she's one of the most authentic and true to herself people I know. And so Maddie, I was wondering if you could tell us kind of how you express your personal identity in the job search and your career. Yeah. Um, So I think before I get to the core of your question, it's important to me to explain my positionality in our society, right? Because my different identities frame and shape the way that I'm able to move through the world. So um, I want to let your listeners know that I'm white, that I am a cisgender woman, which means that the female gender assigned to me at birth matches my biological sex. 
Uh, I'm also queer. Uh, I've been with my wife uh, for 10 years. I've been out since I was about 17 years old. And that shapes how I move through the world and the job search too. But I would say in the job search, um, probably all of the amazing advice that your listeners have gotten from other folks in terms of being prepared, um, you know, setting out your outfit the night before, uh, you know, things like that. All of that has to be in place before you can like have an authentic job search, right? Mm -hmm. Like you have to sort of uh, have all of those things in place too, right? Because if, um, if you're kind of going in without doing the proper research, uh, without having all of your professional ducks in a row, um, then it's going to be really hard to be authentic because you're going to be nervous and unprepared, right? Um, but I would say when I think about authenticity in the job search, what what has given me comfort when I've been in those situations is putting myself in the employer's shoes, right? Um, because you know, I've served on, on selection committees before I've filled vacant positions before. And, you know, I mean, no offense by this, but like, it is a chore (laughs) to interview (laughs) people all day. You know, you have to put all of the projects you've been working on aside. You can't make progress. You just have to sit still and talk all day. Right. And, and do a lot of listening. And I think there's like a lot of emotional labor associated with um, listening to nervous people, all day. <laughs> people stumbling over their words and turning red and, you know, struggling. And so I put myself in the employer's shoes and I remind myself this person wants me to succeed, right? Mm. They don't want to listen to me stumble over my words and portray some sort of fake image that Mm. I think they want to see from me, right? They want me to be myself. They liked me enough to invite me. So I'm going to give them that authentic, you know, that authentic version of Maddie, right? Because they deserve to see me at my best, Um, And I also deserve, right? It's a two-way street. I deserve to see how they react (laughs) to Mm. authentic Maddie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I mentioned my queerness earlier. Um, I come out during the interview process. Mm -hmm. I I feel like folks, when they hear this concept of coming out, it's like um, a rite of passage that you do when you're a teenager and then you're just out, right? Forever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, No, no, no. Mm -mm. (laughs) Coming out is something I do almost every day, right? Um, When I meet someone new, uh, when I, yeah, I'm in a job interview, when, you know, whatever, Um, especially because I, um, I can pass as straight pretty easily, Um, you know, just compared to our media depictions of queer folks, right? I wear makeup, I wear dresses, whatever. I could easily pass. And so um, I, uh, come out in the interview process to see how the employer responds. Of course, mm-hmm. I do. I pair this with doing research about the employer, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so you know what that looks like is seeing if the employer has any affinity groups, right? If they mm-hmm. do social media posts on coming out day or for Pride, like uh, even like the images on their websites, right? Like all these different things mm-hmm. matter. So I do that, but I also want to see how the team reacts. Um, And I also want to clarify that, like, I am not looking for tolerance. Um, I don't know who wants to work somewhere where they are tolerated. Um, (laughs) I, (laughs) I, we're past that as a society, right? Mm -hmm. Um, 
we we need to work places where our identities, who we are, um, is celebrated, right? And so that's what I'm looking for. And uh, so generally, what that looks like for me and in my my personal journey when I'm interviewing is just working it into conversations like, hey, I see you're a Spurs fan. My wife and I went to a Spurs game last year. Mm-hmm. You know, it was amazing, right? Or, or oh, you know, my wife and I love to go to Fredericksburg or Wimberley or whatever, like something like that. So it's not like, listen, everyone, before we get started, <laughs> I need you to know something, you know, it's not like that. But I do, I do work it into conversations mm-hmm. because I think I deserve to see if I'm celebrated, if I'm tolerated, or if there's any sort of disdain or, you know, discrimination. Right. Um, so, so those are some, some musings on authenticity in an interview. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I remember on my first day that we sat down and had a conversation, just getting to know each other. And it was so effortless how you incorporated it into the conversation. And it was, of course, it's something that I love about you. So I had no problem with it. I don't yeah. know. Under, I don't understand people who do, but yeah. um, anyways, it was just beautifully done. Yeah. Oh. And, and you guys, I, I don't know if you've heard, but like, it, you know, another person we all know and love um, Alex, right. Uh, I remember <laughs> we were on the same team uh, when I worked at career services and our boss took us out for lunch and she saw my wedding ring and was just like, Oh, you know, what does your husband do? And that was like one of our first <laughs> conversations. It's just so funny now. Um, you know, because, uh, because, you know, we're such great friends and know each other so well, but that first yeah. day I had to be like, mm, <laughs> I don't have a husband. I have a wife, you know, and, and just the horror on her face. She felt so bad. And I'm like, please, no, no, no. That, but that was such a hard lesson to learn um, is like interrupting because like old Maddie would be like, oh, he's a, <laughs> he's a band director. You know? like, <laughs> keep up this lie until like I have to, you know, it's a Christmas party or whatever. Like, my husband wife. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. And that was, um, that was not easy early on that, that interrupting mm-hmm. that was something I've, I've learned from years of awkward conversations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Maddie, <clears throat> you talked a little bit about, you know, setting out the right clothing and preparing yourself. And I feel like we've talked about this a lot, especially over the past couple months is the definition of professionalism Mm -hmm. and the differences between traditional professionalism and the way that appearance or self-identity, how all that plays into that. So we wanted to talk a little bit about the fact that you somewhat naturally, at least if feel like it's natural, maybe it's not, I don't know, but you, (laughs) you push those boundaries. For example, when you came to career services in the past, in our office, we had strong policies about tattoos showing and you uh, just showed your tattoos and we were all like, yes, you know, so liberation. Yeah. I mean, that might not be a big deal, but like, I really feel like that was a, it was a, it was an interesting switch for us because it just happened. There it was. So I guess, how do you define professionalism? How should it be defined? And then how do you push those boundaries? 
I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. It, it is totally intentional. So like I, um, okay. So how I define professionalism is, um, I think authenticity is part of that definition, right? That professionalism, um, you know, is portraying your personal brand, um, showing your value, what you can offer, um, offering that to others, offering assistance to others, but but being yourself in a professional setting, right? Um, you know, we are, I think, at like a sea change moment in the professional world and all industries are different. And, and I, I certainly understand that some industries are still very not OK with tattoos. Mm-hmm. Um, but but higher ed is, is, I think, becoming a little more accepting. Um, but with something like tattoos, where that is like a very peripheral part of who I am, you know, um, that comes out later. <laughs> so who I'm married to, who I love, how I live my life, that is very central to who I am and is why I present that when I interview. Um, but my tattoos, I let those hang out for a little bit um, <laughs> under a blazer or a sweater. Um, and then I sort of uh, do this thing, like this has just been my strategy is I will, um, you know, work at a place for a few months and kind of do a temperature check, right? Do I see other people with tattoos or piercings or purple hair or whatever, you know? Um, and so I, I slowly kind of start to lift the sleeve a little bit, you know, cause I, um, have some visible tattoos on my arms. Um, but I, I think it's, it's all just like a delicate balance. And I just, I sort of do some things to prove my worth and then start showing tattoos more and more, you know, but, uh, but it's one of those things where I, I keep a blazer in my office, uh, cause in my position, now that I'm a director, the president can just drop in and ask my colleague and I for an enrollment report or, um, a survey about our benefits or whatever. So I, I still keep, um, I still keep a blazer around and throw it on just to, to have that. But, uh, but yeah, I think, I think professionalism is, is that interaction and finding the right balance for you and and the environment. But yeah. Yeah. So if, if you don't, if you're an individual who doesn't necessarily fit into those, those norms, right? Mm -hmm. Because I heard you say blazer and maybe that's not a norm someone wants to participate in. So how do they navigate the professional world as it is and still maintain exactly who they are and, and those values? So you mean if somebody doesn't want to wear a blazer? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think there's still, um, you know, that temperature check, right? Like if, if that's a non-negotiable for you, if you want to have your tattoos out all the time, then, then that may be more of like an interview thing, right? Looking at, um, looking at your future coworkers to see if they have tattoos and maybe having like offhand conversations with them, right? So not during your interview, but kind of the in-between, you know, hey, do folks around here, like tell me a little bit about the dress code and, and how you feel about tattoos and piercings and things like that. Um, that if that is so important to you that you're not willing to wear a blazer or to sort of play that game a little bit, mm-hmm. then yeah, I, I would say, you know, do have some offhanded conversations and, and see if that's, um, you know, if that's on the table and, and how your future coworkers feel about it. Yeah. I love the fact that you just 
balanced the, you know, like what are your core values? And then those are the things you really need to dig out in that Mm -hmm. interview. And then the other things that you feel like you can kind of fluctuate, compromise, have a little bit of ambiguity is all right. I think that's good to know. And I think people who do professionalism, uh, you know, in a, in a good way, right, are folks that strike that balance. I think mm-hmm. somebody who's professional or ha- who, who has that career, um, you know, competency of, of, of career management, right, that they, um, they are self-aware. They, they know what their core values are and they stick to them, you know. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you were, if your core value was, I want to let uh, my tattoos show, I want to be who I am. And, and those are, those are up on my list, then you got to hold yourself accountable. So if, if that coworker, that future coworker says, yeah, mm, those are not good, blah, blah, blah. Then you've got to walk, <laughs> you know, and uh, we're not all at that place. I, I know I'm, I'm certainly not. I'll wear the blazer to get the the experience that I want to get. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. I know um, I've been asked, you know, we do class presentations for career services and you know, with a professor who wants them. And a lot of the times the professor will want us to talk about professional dress and, uh, you know, our tattoos, our long hair, you know what all is okay? And it's so hard to answer that question because my, my answer is it depends on what's important to you and what you want to be important to your employer. There's not a right one way answer on that. So I know. And I, I struggled with those presentations too, when it came to gender, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) What's appropriate for a woman and a man. And it was Mm -hmm. like, what if you don't identify as a woman or a man, you know, like I, that was so cringy to me. And I, I usually just, I said exactly what you said, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it depends. Um, but you need to wear what's comfortable. Mm-hmm. So like, I think the worst thing you could do is to say, you know, you're a female student in that classroom, looking at that slideshow, you have an interview next week. So you buy a brand new pencil skirt and you've never worn a pencil skirt in your life and you buy a pair of high heels and you've never worn heels in your life. Um, And then you go to that interview looking like the woman on that slide, but feeling like an alien, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because because then your interview is going to to be inauthentic. You're you're going to feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in in your clothes and that's going to come through in your responses. So so I think you're right, right? It depends on it depends on you. Um, it, 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 you know, can also depend on the employer. That's why the research piece is so key, but yeah, I, there is not a one size fits all. Um, and yeah, if you've never worn a pencil skirt, um, you got to practice something that takes practice for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Maddie, for joining us this morning. It was a pleasure hearing everything you had to say. Of course. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. A Walk Across Texas State is hosted by Bridget Sarbu and Tori Graham. Zachary Webb is our producer and editor. Music by Richard Hall. For free resources and additional information about our services, head over to careerservices.txstate.edu and follow us on social media at txstcareers. Don't forget to like and subscribe to hear new episodes every other Tuesday each semester. Thanks for listening and we will see you soon.